Well, hello, my friends. This is the Messianic Jewish Expositor, Art Walensky. And we have another podcast today. And the subject is, does it matter whether or not Jesus, Yeshua, is God? Well, it certainly matters to me if he is. You see, if he died on the cross as a mere man and shed the blood of a mere man, then the debt for my sins has not been paid. If Jesus was a mere man, then his blood would not be sufficiently valuable to wash away every sin I've ever committed, no matter how severe and his blood would not be of sufficient value to wash away your sins either. And it would certainly not be valuable enough to wash away the sins of a million or of a billion or of even more, a larger number of sinners who died, but not before each one accepted the finished work, the shed blood and substitutionary death of Yeshua on the cross, because to do all that, for all of those sins to be forgiven, requires a life and blood of infinite worth. And that infinite worth requires Jesus to be God. And there's something else too. If I am to be made new, and to become a slave of righteousness instead of a slave to sin, then I must be crucified in Yeshua. My old man must die, and I must be raised to newness of life as a new creation. That requires that Jesus was raised from the dead, resurrected, And for that to happen, he has to be God. And I'm not just talking about me. What was and is required for all my sins to be forgiven and for all the sins of each of you to be forgiven and for each one of you to be raised to newness of life, Jesus had to be and has to be God. My friends, we are talking about being born again, born again to eternal life. For that to happen, Jesus must be divine. He must be God. So, is Jesus God? What does the Bible say? Let's take a look. We're not going to look at every scripture that proves that Jesus is God. That would take too long but we'll look at enough scriptures to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, in my opinion, that Yeshua, Jesus, is God. Let's start with the Old Testament. I'm going to read to you Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The prophet Isaiah is here saying that a child will be born, 
and he was born hundreds of years later. He was born hundreds of years later, I should say, but Isaiah is here saying that a child will be born who will be called, among other things, mighty God. The word God here in the Hebrew is El, which means God. This child who was born in Bethlehem is Jesus, Yeshua. So, I would say on the basis of this scripture that Jesus is God. Next, we're going to go to the book of Daniel, and we're going to read in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, the prophet Daniel has been shown a vision here of four world empires right before these two verses. Daniel was shown a vision of four world empires represented by four beasts. The fourth beast is representative of the Roman Empire. This fourth beast had 10 horns, but as Daniel watched, an 11th horn sprang up and uprooted three of the first 10 horns. In his vision, Daniel saw one like a son of man. That's Jesus, Yeshua, approaching the Ancient of Days. That's God the Father. The Father gave the Son of Man, Jesus, the God-Man, authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is clearly God the Father giving all these things to God the Son, Jesus, Yeshua. So let me say again, Jesus is God. Let's go to the New Testament now, <clears throat> and we'll begin with the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has instructed John the Baptist to baptize him. Now let's read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this 
is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now here in these two verses we have all three persons of the triune God, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus and the Father declaring that Jesus is his son. And of course, Jesus, who is being baptized by the Holy Spirit. So let me say again, the son of God is God. Now, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9 and read verses 5 through 7. For which is easier to say? Jesus is speaking now. For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he, Jesus, said to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. And he got up and went home. Jesus had just told a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Some teachers of the law were there and said about Jesus, this man is blaspheming. They said this because only God has the authority to forgive sins. Therefore, Jesus was making it clear he had the authority to forgive sins. Jesus was saying, he is God. Now, you and I cannot forgive sins, and we don't have the right to forgive sins. But we can say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. And although we might say this to a person, his sins are not forgiven. But Jesus authenticated his right and authority to forgive sins by immediately healing the man, something that only God could do. So once again, Jesus is God. Let's go next to the Gospel of John. In this Gospel, Jesus is sometimes called the Word, W-O-R-D. In Greek, that's logos, John explicitly tells us that Jesus is God. And he also tells us that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, it's the Apostle John who is speaking here, of course, not John the Baptist. Different, two different people. Let's read in John chapter 1 and the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let's read the 14th verse of the same chapter, John 1. And the Word, the Logos, became flesh. He's talking about Jesus here. And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So folks, let me say again, Jesus is God. 
Now, some people object to what I'm sharing with you today. They argue that Yeshua, Jesus, is not God. Let's look at three of these objections. Let's read Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. It says, God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? It's true that God is not a man. But Jesus is not merely a man. He is the God-man. He is perfect God and perfect man. If he did not have a human component, he could not have died on the cross, and he could not have saved us. Even on the cross, he never stopped being God. So the fact that the scripture says God is not a man is no evidence against the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. Let's look at another objection. This one is in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and it has to do with Jesus' return, Yeshua's return. The apostles were asking Jesus when that would be. I'm going to read the verse in question, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Jesus speaking again. But about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Now, if Jesus was God, would he not know the exact time of his return? The answer to that question is no. And the reason for that is because Jesus was and is perfect God and perfect man. And sometimes he set aside his divine powers and prerogatives. And this was an example of him doing that. So about that day and hour, the time of his return, he didn't know when it was. Let me read you a verse from the letter to, to the Philippians in the New Testament <clears throat> that helps us to understand this. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant, really a bondslave, and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. Now, the Apostle Paul 
is writing here, and he is teaching about the importance of humility. And he is using Yeshua as an example. Yeshua was incredibly humble, and he set aside his divine powers at times. And this was an example of that, when he said again that about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Perhaps another example will help us to better understand why Jesus did not know the exact day and hour of his return. Jesus is soon to be taken to the cross. Let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. And while he was still speaking, Jesus, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, came, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests, and elders of the people. Now I'm going to skip to verse 51 of this same chapter, Matthew 26, and read through verse 54. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which said that it must happen this way? So even though Jesus could have called upon his father for 12 legions of angels to deliver him from this armed crowd, it did not serve his purposes to do so. And yet, he was still God. Listen to what he does in this very situation in the Gospel of Luke. I'm looking at Luke chapter 22, verse 51. Now, as this is happening, as this armed crowd is coming to take Jesus, and one of the disciples with him cut off the ear of one of the people coming to take Jesus, Jesus said this, Stop, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear that had been cut off. And healed him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus emptied himself of his power as God, allowing himself to be taken by an armed mob, to be taken to an unfair trial that would lead to his death. And yet he healed the sliced off ear of this servant of the high priest. So folks, let me say it again. Jesus is God. Now, there is one more example that I want to give you today. There are many more examples that the Bible contains, but I'm going to give you just one more today. 
Let's read from the Psalms. Psalm 2, verse 7. I'm reading in the New King James Version. I will declare the decree. The Lord, that's Lord with all caps, meaning Yahweh, yud heh vav -Heh, the great I am. Let me start again. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Now, this verse is a prophecy about the anointed son of God, the Messiah. Now, those who do not believe that Yeshua is the son of God, <coughs> excuse me. Now, those who do not believe that Yeshua is the son of God and equal to God might say that Yahweh, Adonai, God the Father, all the same, is saying that he, Adonai, has begotten the son. This psalm, earlier on, I didn't read it to you, but earlier on, this psalm makes it clear that this son is the anointed one, the Messiah. In other words, he is the Messiah. So he is the son of God and the Messiah, the anointed one, but doesn't begotten mean that he was created. After all, begotten refers to birth. Even in the Bible, as for example, in the New King James Version, in Genesis chapter 4, let me read you the 18th verse. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod begot Mahuyael, and Mahuyael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Now, begot in this verse means fathered. That is, these men in this verse had intercourse with their wives, and the result in each case was the birth of a son. These sons were not eternal. They did not come into the world from eternity. They did not always exist. They were created beings, just like you and I. Now let's read Psalm 2, verse 7 again. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, this is Jesus speaking, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Well, in this verse, begotten does not mean created. But you might say to me, Art, haven't you always taught your students to take the Bible literally? I would say to my students, yes, I do teach that. But there are exceptions. I'm going to read to you now Dr. David Cooper's Golden Rule of Scripture Interpretation. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless the facts of the immediate context studied in the light of related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate clearly 
otherwise. Well, it so happens that in Psalm 2, verse 7, I'll read it again. You are my son. Part of it I'm reading. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That begotten here does not mean created. The reason I say that is because other related passages and axiomatic and fundamental truths indicate that clearly Jesus is not a created being. So then, what does begotten mean in this verse? <clears throat> Excuse me. I suggest to you the following. I believe, as do many others, that Psalm 2 is a royal psalm that refers to the day of Messiah, Jesus, coronation. When he comes to earth the second time to set up and to assume the rulership of his messianic or millennial kingdom, God the Father has ordained this and is saying to the Messiah, his son, today is the consummation of what you and I have long awaited, of what we have planned from before the foundations of the world. Today is the day. Today is that day. Congratulations, my one and only beloved son. Congratulations, my only begotten son. So what I'm saying to you here is that begotten in this case doesn't mean to give birth in the standard sense. God the Father is congratulating his one and only beloved son, his only begotten son, his one and only. That's what that means in my opinion. And I say again to you, Jesus is God. So my friends, what does all this mean for you and for me? I'm going to read two more verses to you. Uh, two more passages to you. I'm going to start with Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, with Messiah. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. And the second passage is from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. For this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is saying that Jesus is not ashamed to call us, you and me, if we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior. He is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. Now Jesus is talking to the Father, to his Father, Yahweh. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. My friends, 
I don't know about you, but I want to be a fellow heir and brother with my Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. I want to be with him in the midst of the assembly as he proclaims the name of his Father to us and sings praise to his Father's glory. Don't you want that too? So let me ask you, in closing, do you know our Messiah? Do you know him? If you don't, I beg of you to call on his name today. Ask him to save you. Recognize that you are a sinner, just like me. Say to him, Lord Jesus, Son of God, please wash me clean today. Forgive all my sins so that I can spend eternity in heaven with you. Thank you, Lord. This is Art Walensky, the Messianic Jewish Expositor. Until the next time, thank you for listening.